You're listening to the Women as in Art podcast, and I am your host, Leah Schrager. Welcome to Women as in Art. Today, I have Alexandra Schwartz with me, and I am super excited for this discussion. Welcome. Thank you for having me. I'll start by just reading your bio, and then we'll get going into our discussion. Alexandra Schwartz, PhD, is Curator of Modern and Contemporary Art, Craft, and Design at the Museum of Arts and Design, New York, an adjunct professor in the MA program in Art Market Studies, SUNY Fashion Institute of Technology. Her exhibitions include Garmenting, Costume as Contemporary Art at MAD 2022, 52 Artists, a Feminist Milestone at the Aldrich Contemporary Art Museum, 2022 to 23. Ed Ruscha, OKLA, at the Oklahoma Contemporary, 2021. As in Nature, Helen Frankenthaler Paintings at the Clark Institute, 2017. And Come As You Are, Art of the 1990s. Montclair Art Museum and National Tour 2015 to 16, all with scholarly catalogs. She is the author of Ed Ruscha's Los Angeles MIT Press 2010 and the co-editor of Modern Women, Women Artists at the Museum of Modern Art, MoMA 2010. Schwartz previously held curatorial positions at the Museum of Modern Art and the Montclair Art Museum and teaching positions at Columbia University, Fordham University, the University of Michigan, and the Whitney Museum of American Art, among other institutions. Um, Yes. Wow. So impressive. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, I love, I mean, I think I came across you because of the 52 artists. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would love to start by actually just hearing a bit more about how that show came apart and tell everyone what, what that show is. Sure. Um, 52 artists was an exhibition at the Aldrich in Connecticut that closed, um, at the beginning of 2023. So it, was originally conceived as a show marking the anniversary of the critic and curator Lucy Lepard's 26 Contemporary Women Artists show that was in the Aldrich in 1971. So we thought it was going to be a 50th anniversary show. It turned out to be 51st because of COVID. Um But it was a remarkable exhibition because it was really the first feminist exhibition in the U.S. It was right when the women's movement of the 1970s was picking up steam. It was actually before Roe versus Wade. And it was Lepard who became very well known as a feminist critic. It was her first show um, exclusively featuring women artists. So I had done some research on the exhibition while I was at MoMA and working on the Modern Women book, and I was planning to present a conference paper on the show. I went to the Aldrich to look at their exhibition files, um, and I sort of got reacquainted um, with their curator, Amy Smith-Stewart, who I had known a little bit a long time ago when she PS1 and I was at MoMA. 
And there wasn't much in the files. Um, the records of the show were very, very sparse. But we started talking, and she had also researched the exhibition and was really interested in it um, from the perspective as well as the institutional history of the Aldridge. So we went out to lunch and we hatched the idea for this exhibition. <laughs> um, and originally we thought we'd try to reconstruct it. Um, that actually turned out to be very tricky, which mm-hmm. um, I can talk about a little more. And we also decided that while we were really interested in looking back at this early feminist moment in the 1970s, we also wanted to bring it up to the present day and mm-hmm. think about how artists today are thinking about feminism in a different way or many different ways. And we're very inspired by Lepard and the artists who she was showing, but also think about it much more broadly in terms of gender and um, in terms of intersectional thinking with issues relating to ethnicity and race and um, queer identity. So it ended up being the original 26 artists plus 26 female identifying Mm. or non-binary artists who are working today, making Mm. up the 52. That's awesome. That's such a great story. Um, How how would you say that the – I mean, you got into it a bit, but could you talk a bit more about how the – this contemporary, this today contemporary take on feminism and how that differs from what it was. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the Lepard show was fascinating for so many different reasons. There were a few artists to come out of it who are now extremely well known, like Adrian Piper, Mary Heilman, Howard Dina Pindell. Um, And it was all at the very beginning of their careers. One of the criteria for inclusion in the exhibition is that they had not had an exhibition in the New York area before. So it's amazing to think that like Piper, Pindell, Heilman, so many other artists had their first big show. Um, But except for a few exceptions, I think a total of three Everyone was white. Um, There were only three artists of color. Pretty much everyone was cisgender. Almost everyone was straight. And it was a very kind of white middle class 70s version of feminism. Um, So we wanted to try to think about how conceptions of gender, conceptions of what it means to be a feminist, to be an activist have changed. And so for the updated half of the show, um, we included artists who had not yet had a solo exhibition um, in the New York area, but, and so we're at the beginning of their careers, but who encompassed a kind of huge range of concerns. Not all the artists were from the U.S., they sort of were thinking about gender and thinking about their practices from a much more global perspective, much more in relation to other issues of identities and difference, such as race, ethnicity, etc. So it really was a way of kind of thinking about how feminism has evolved, how the art world has evolved, and how what emerging artists are thinking about today is both 
related to and also very different from what they were 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do, um, so I've heard feminism discussed as different waves and I've heard it called the fourth wave that we're currently in, but I've also mm -hmm. heard other things. How would you put where we are today in feminist status or waves or? It's a really interesting question. Um, what I always think about from my perspective is 10, 15 years ago when I was working on the Modern Women Project at MoMA, which was a cross-departmental initiative to increase visibility scholarship exhibitions for work by women artists in the collection, a lot of my contemporaries did not feel comfortable with the term feminism. Like they, it's not that they didn't believe in the principles behind feminism. Certainly they believed in equality and equity and, um, but the term feminism had a lot of baggage. I think that it was kind of part of this cultural moment. It was right around the time that Hillary Clinton was running for president, which was very loaded. Um, it was not embraced in the way that I think it is now. I think that, you know, partly it's just a matter of time having passed and feminism being redefined um, by different generations. But I think also, you know, the idea of speaking out and the concept of activism is just much more a part of the culture, especially for younger people than I think it was 10 or 15 years ago. And I think also the idea of feminism has just been popularized in like pop culture by musicians yeah. and, you know, actors and influencers in a way that it was not previously. So, yeah, I think the idea of the fourth wave makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm happy to say that I think that the idea of feminism is just much more widely accepted and um people just don't really think twice about it whereas mm -hmm. 10 or 15 years ago i think people did mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah that totally makes sense um what do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities for women in art now um that's a big question yeah. you know again like i'm gonna answer it from my own yeah. personal perspective. Please. Um, I think that for women who have children or want to have children, it's still very difficult. Um, and that's true of all genders, but I do feel as if we're still a little bit stuck in many instances in somewhat traditional gender roles. And I think that um, for artists, for professionals in the art world, it just tends to be very tricky to balance family and career. And that's just like, hasn't changed that much. Um, you know, as a curator in many positions, there's a lot of travel, there's a lot of... Um, you know, after hours events. And it's really difficult to do that when you have young kids. And for me, yeah. like, 
I actually just finished my time as an independent curator. Like I freelanced while my kids were um, very young. My youngest is now five because I just didn't feel like I could be the parent I wanted to be mm-hmm. and be a full-time curator. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was fortunate in that I was able to make it work financially. It wasn't easy. And a lot of, you know, I was very privileged to, to be able to work it out. But I do think that, you know, it's true. It's true of anyone who has children, but because the U.S. doesn't have the social infrastructure that many European countries or other countries have that support families, mm-hmm. a lot of the time the burden falls on women, no matter what um, kind of professional world you're in. But I think that because the art world can be rather conservative in its social structures, ironically, given Mm -hmm. that it considers itself very progressive, um, you know, a lot of big corporations have childcare that's just a benefit of being an employee. And like, I don't really know of any art structure, arts institution that has that. Mm -hmm. I'm curious actually to hear more about how how the art world, because I also get that feeling in various like kind of ways that the art world is very conservative, even though it's very progressive in some ways, it's very conservative in other ways. Mm -hmm. Are there any other ways that come to mind um, in regards to Yeah. I mean, just pay equity, (laughs) like the the Mm. pay structure is so terrible and it does not really, I think this is changing, but Mm. especially when I was coming up, it was still this very hierarchical Mm. um, world where the people in charge totally called the shots and expected younger workers to just like devote their labor to what they were expected to do for very low wages. So I think that um, it's a real problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah, I see that. Yeah. Across the board, right. For artists too, obviously. And for people who are working in institutions, it's kind of wild. Yeah. I mean, for artists, I think it's, it's surprising that there are so few residencies that allow for Mm. like there are a few now. And I think there's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is some attention to that these days and there are more and more, but like until recently there were almost none. And Mm. a lot of the time when artists are having kids, that's also the time when they need to be really focusing on their career. And it's just really, really difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's so true. Um, That's exciting that there are residencies now, though, that offer that. That's very exciting. That, like, literally had not even occurred to me as, like, like, um, I guess just something. But that's, like, an incredible offering for residencies to do. Yeah, yeah. Um, Where and how do women find agency and empowerment in art? You know, art can be an expression of whatever the artist is concerned with and thinking about. And I think that having that kind of autonomy and creativity is incredibly important. You know, 
again, it, it like goes back to a notion that's been around for a long time, but like Virginia Woolf's room of one's own where it's, you know, your own space that you can really do anything with. And it's got this kind of, um, you know, you're as an artist, you're entirely in control of what you create. And I think that that's very, very important in thinking yeah. about, you know, women's creativity and autonomy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And ownership, ownership of the image, ownership of mm-hmm. one's image, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. Something about the selfie that I really like is that whoever's taking the photo owns the image and there's a nice level of ownership that happens there. Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Okay, so this is a question I'm very excited to ask you because it's it. I feel like it hits right into what um, what you've been working on recently, um, or what you've been working on for a while. Um, how has the place of women in and or as art changed over time and across different media? Hmm. Um. I mean, I think it has changed tremendously. You know, if you go back to, like, within the Western tradition, if you go back to, you know, the Renaissance, there were so few women artists because the training wasn't available, the commissions, the patronage wasn't available by and large. And certainly that's changed a lot. Another thing that I'm very interested in is the fact that women have been making forever, like time immemorial, every part of the globe has an artistic tradition, whether it's in terms of craft, Mm -hmm. you know, usable objects that are also artistic objects. I think that one of the things that's happening more and more is that our, our perception of what art is, is bigger than like, you know, you go to art school and you, you know, show with a gallery. I think that like, that the way in which craft traditions are increasingly being folded into conceptions of the history of art is incredibly Mm -hmm. important for women Mm -hmm. because women have always been making craft and it's always been a way of both reflecting the world and making an impact on the world. Uh. And so to me, like, yes, like women in art have, has changed in terms of how the like traditional art world works. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, going back in time to like when artists were part of courts all the way up to the gallery system now, but in fact, like, making has always been there. Women have Mm -hmm. always been creating. And I'm glad that that kind of creation is being shown in museums and taught in schools and written about much more than, than in the past. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a bit more about if there are any particular artists you're thinking of in terms of craft art as you're speaking and what kinds of craft forms in particular you're excited about? Yeah. Um, I mean, an artist who I always really love and who had a huge impact is Olga de Amaral, who um, was really kind of a pioneer in making craft part of the bigger 
discourse of contemporary art and who also was very influential on younger artists and students. Um, she, you know, is very much part of the tradition of craft in Latin America. Um, so she's always kind of a favorite to me. And then an artist who incorporates a lot of craft traditions from all over the world um, into a multidisciplinary practice is Sile Wolfalk, who I first worked with over 10 years ago when I was at the Montclair Art Museum. We did her first uh, solo museum show together, and she's continued to think about and use craft traditions as a way of talking about how different cultures clash, come together, form new cultures. It's a way of thinking about inclusivity, the way that different cultural traditions um, kind of come together and represent who we are. Um, so she thinks about craft traditions really all over the world, but particularly in relation to her own background. Her mother's family is Japanese and mm. actually owned a textile um, factory. Oh, wow. Yeah, her father um, is of African and European heritage, so mm. she thinks a lot about West African textile traditions, mm. African-American wow. quilting traditions, Japanese textiles. Yeah. She spent time in Brazil and that's had an influence on the way she, she thinks about craft and um, subjectivity. So she's someone who I think is just doing such interesting work and, and she's kind of got both sides of the coin. She's both working with craft and she has a big emphasis on the handmade mm -hmm. in her work, but she's also incorporating video and performance mm -hmm. and um, installation. And so I, she's, she's an artist who's always been one of my, my favorite artists to watch and to work with. That's really cool. This is maybe a weird question, but can a selfie be considered craft art? Craft is so hard to define. <sighs> I mean, the definition that works best for me is something that's handmade. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure that a selfie can be handmade. Like mm -hmm. the phone is a pretty important mm -hmm. part that's of it, true. technology wise. So hand taken, sure. but not. Yeah, it's like hand taken, but not handmade or yeah, something. Because yeah. it is taken literally, right, with a hand, mm -hmm. but it's not yeah, made by hand because it requires the yeah some yeah. pretty powerful devices. Yeah, um, a lot of technology. <laughs> yeah, does um I'm curious to hear about in thinking about also over time how if there how you see the internet as playing a role in some sort of contemporary art practices or in the conversation? Yeah. I mean, I think the internet changes everything about every part of our lives. Yeah, <laughs> um, totally. You know, the way that we relate to each other, like even this conversation now. Yeah, like, right. You know, we're just looking right. at images on the screen. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's changed the way we behave and the way we relate to each other as humans. And a lot of it is like not great. 
Um, mm-hmm. There's that remove that I think happens where like, mm-hmm. especially coming out of COVID, yeah. human connection gets a little lost. Like it's not the same as yeah. someone in person. On the other hand, um, in terms of communication and sharing ideas, I mm-hmm. think it's mm-hmm. invaluable for the art world. I mean, yeah. if you look at the activism that came out of the pandemic and mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter and all the accounts on Instagram that were really making a social mm-hmm. change, like the Change mm-hmm. the Museum account and so mm-hmm. many others. I think it really changed the way a lot of art world institutions are run because mm-hmm. suddenly there was accountability mm-hmm. and a lot of the, you know, pretty nefarious stuff that went on, like was being called out. I think that mm-hmm. makes a huge difference. I think also just artists being able to share their work so easily makes an enormous difference. Um, you know, as a curator, I mm-hmm. definitely learn about new work through Instagram yeah other platforms. Um, And I think the fact that artists from all over the world can, you know, meet virtually and Mm -hmm. share ideas, do virtual studio visits, like that's incredibly exciting um, to me. Yeah. So like everything, I feel like there are big pros and big cons. (laughs) Totally. So you you, uh, you uh, differentiated them very nicely. That is very Thank much you. like the pro and the con of the internet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in terms of looking at art, I feel like the jury is out on that. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm a museum curator. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like having an in-person, like, real-life encounter with a work of art is really important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In most cases. However... I'm teaching a contemporary art history class right now Mm. and have been able to screen videos that are on YouTube Mm. or, or, you know, other platforms. And when it's on the big screen in my classroom, it is pretty much the same experience you'd have in a gallery or a museum. And that's amazing, you know, to be able to show a work of art and have really good in a classroom. Right. That's a good point. I hadn't thought yeah. of that. And that would be pretty unique probably to video. Like that would be yeah. the one time that material work can't quite transport as nicely into a classroom. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it wouldn't work for an installation. Or yes, exactly. Or but for, you know, video work and so much mm-hmm. of the work of the last 20, 30 years is video based. Like it's great. Mm-hmm. I can actually show them that work and there are no fees and Mm -hmm. it's amazing. (laughs) What about um, post-internet art? So um, I guess I'm thinking of Erin Riley a bit. I'm not sure if she's really considered a post-internet artist, but maybe these are two separate questions actually. First, like what about post-internet art or uh, is there any way that, how do those figure into the contemporary? I don't know if I've heard the term post-internet art. Oh, okay. Um, I believe it was Jean McHugh and someone else who came up with it. I think it's basically the idea mm-hmm. that like now that we live on the internet, um, how do we incorporate objects or experiences from the internet into our art practices and mm. then show yeah. them in a museum or show them 
online potentially. That makes sense. I mean, you know, internet based art has been around since the late nineties. Like it's not Mm -hmm. a new thing. And Mm -hmm. I think that it feels different now because we're so like ruled by the internet and especially after COVID it's a whole new relationship to the virtual world, Mm -hmm. which is getting a little bit back to normal, but Mm -hmm. um, you know, the same things that artists like Jody, the Jody collective Mm -hmm. or Marina Zirko or, Mm -hmm. you know, all the other kind of early internet artists we're dealing with are still around. Um, That's really interesting. You're right. Yeah. Totally like the same themes almost. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it is. And so, I mean, artists are always on the front lines of processing change. Like there's a reason why it's called the avant-garde, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's been happening for a while. I'm not sure it's so different now than it was, Mm -hmm. but certainly, you know, digital video is incorporated into work in the gallery all the time Mm -hmm. and you know imagery from the internet like Mm -hmm. and like vr and ar and ai like there's so many Mm -hmm. different ways that artists (laughs) are experimenting with those technologies so i kind of think like we'll have to continue to see what happens. Yeah. But I do think that artists have been looking at this for like 30 years. You yeah. Know? Yeah, totally. Um, can a woman just be art? I don't really know what that means. <laughs> yeah, I get that. <laughs> I think, I think the question is like, it's sort of in a performance art perspective perhaps mm. but they like, can a but let's just say can a woman and I, and I'm still trying to decide the answer to this myself I mean it's, mm-hmm. it's it, there are a lot of different interpretations but the idea that uh, can a woman just in her own self be art versus being the one who's um, creating the art or mm-hmm. publishing the art because mm-hmm. women have this unique position as the object or can have that unique yeah. position. Well, traditionally has. Yeah. I don't think I like that idea. Like, yeah. I think, why should a woman be art any more than a man mm-hmm. or a non-binary person? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I think that women are creators, like, always have been creators. Sometimes women decide to, like, be the subject of their own art, but so do people of other genders. So Mm -hmm. I think that I think there are plenty of people out there who want to see women as art, Mm -hmm. as decorative and, Mm -hmm. you know, as like beauty or like being women's main characteristic. But I think Uh I definitely have a lot of issues with that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I I like that idea a lot that it's just like, well, actually, if you're going to say women can be art, it's like, well, anybody can be art. Anybody can be art, which makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Please name some female artists you're excited about 
and why? Um, I have such a like huge <laughs> range of favorites. Oh, cool. I mean, going back in time a little bit, one of my favorite artists is Louise Bourgeois. And, you know, as, as an artist who's really thinking about like the conditions of being a woman and um, the psychology of it and women's emotional lives. Like she's just the ultimate um, in my opinion. Um, Other artists I've been excited about recently. Let me think there are a lot. Um, more recently, I'm gonna like look at my bookshelf. To get some ideas. Um, I mean, going even further back, one of my favorite artists is Sonia Delaunay, <laughs> particularly because she was working <clears throat> both in fashion and design and mm-hmm. as a painter, and mm-hmm. she really combined that with her own life in many ways mm-hmm. that was very, very inspiring. Um, there's an artist who was in my garmenting show at MAD, whose work I really love, named Esma Mohammed, who had a show here last spring as well. And I just think she's a very smart, interesting artist, kind of thinking about the intersection of popular culture and sports and, um, and like what it means to be a Black woman um i think she's really great simone lee is one of my favorites i've Mm -hmm. been following her work for many years and i'm delighted that she's um been so successful recently um trying to think of some other younger artists who i've been thinking Um, in terms of artists who are really working with craft traditions, Mm -hmm. I have been talking a lot to Vadas Turner, who's based in Nashville and Mm -hmm. is kind of coming from a really interesting position of thinking about what it is to be an artist from the South and Mm -hmm. kind of outside of the, like, the kind of like dominance of New York and LA. Um, who else? Erica Rizzuti, a Brazilian sculptor. Mm-hmm. My favorites working right now. Um, oh, and A Young Yu is really someone I've been thinking about a lot. She um, she was also in my garmenting show. I first met her when she was finishing her MFA at Columbia. And she deals a lot with her identity as a Korean-American woman. And she thinks a lot about how she relates to the rituals and traditions that have been passed on to her by her mother and her grandmother. Mm. Um, She's working right now with Nicholas O, um, a ceramicist, and they have a collective 
um, where they work together. And it's a lot of ceramic work that is used within performance and video. And then she also uses a lot of repurposed clothing, like often mm. the costumes that will be used in performance, which are based on, um, on kind of ceremonial clothing will then be repurposed as mm. sculpture or part of an installation. And the work is just, it's so layered. Mm. Like it's, it's so kind of, I mean, it's beautiful, like aesthetically and in terms of like the experience of, of, watching one of their performances it's just incredibly gorgeous but also there's so many layers of meaning and she's just really smart and like her work is just so good so mm -hmm. i'm i'm really i really enjoyed working with her i'm hoping to work with her again in the future that sounds amazing. Well, there are some new people for me to check out from this list. Oh. That's really cool. Um, for your, um, for you, the actually, so can is fashion? Would you consider fashion to be craft? In some cases, yeah. yeah. I mean, certainly, like fashion that is handmade. You know, whether mm -hmm. it's like an everyday garment that's handmade or like haute couture that's handmade. Like that seems mm -hmm. to have a big craft element to me. Mm -hmm. But part of what's so interesting to me about the relationship between design and craft is like, when does craft become design? Like, mm -hmm. is it when it's mass produced mm -hmm. and the craft is the prototype and then the design mm -hmm. is whatever is manufactured. Mm -hmm. But yeah, like, you know, kind of whatever way you slice it from that perspective, I feel like fashion can definitely mm -hmm. be engaged mm -hmm. with craft. Mm -hmm. And could you talk a little more about the show Garmenting? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, just absolutely. Just whatever you want to say about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was at MAD from March to August of last year of 2022. And I had been thinking for a long time about artists who use garments as part of their practice. So they're not designers. They mm -hmm. all kind of identify as artists. They show mm -hmm. in galleries mm -hmm. and museums. Mm -hmm. But they're using the language of fashion and of costume uh -huh. to explore a lot of the issues that I'm most interested in, um, you know, to do with identities and cultural difference and how people um, kind of relate to one another and position themselves in the world. Mm -hmm. And clothing does that. So mm -hmm. on the one hand, clothing is an individual choice. Like we do choose what we put on every morning. But at the same time, it's totally culturally determined, like mm -hmm. depending on where we live, what we do for work, um, how we identify in terms of gender. Like mm -hmm. we both totally control what we wear and also don't control it at all. <laughs> um so the artists in the show were really thinking about that mm. and it was organized around five themes which overlapped mm. but which got at the questions i was hoping to address so there was gender cultural difference activism functionality which is kind mm. of that that line between you know craft or design often mm. being thought of as functional and art being thought of non-functional mm. 
and performance. Mm-hmm. So it was a big show. It was very international. Um, we had artists from every part of the world at different phases of their career. And um, it it managed to be an art exhibition that was also kind of a fashion exhibition <laughs> because most of the artwork was in the form of clothing, whether it was uh-huh. installation or just incorporated clothing into it. Um, but I had started thinking about this show when I first worked with Sia Wolfalk um, in 2012 and also through thinking about Louise Bourgeois and how Bourgeois often used her own clothing from her past as material in her work. And then I just started seeing artists everywhere thinking <laughs> about this. So like Nick Cave is obviously yeah. one of the most prominent, Yinka Shonabara, both of whom were in the show. But like every museum, gallery, art fair I went to, I was seeing it. Um, and so I was really, really pleased to be able to do the show at MAD. It's so much a part of their mission to think about our mission um, to think about interdisciplinarity and you know the intersection section of art craft and design yeah and then i ended up um coming on board there full time just about a month ago oh wow that's yeah. awesome yeah <laughs> so what is uh what's coming up for you at mad well, my next ex- exhibition hasn't been announced yet. Okay, so fair enough. <laughs> on that, but um, I will be doing the next collection-based show of Craft Front and Center, and oh, cool. um, so we'll be featuring featuring mostly artists from the collection um, around a kind of set of different themes. And then I'm thinking about what big exhibitions I'd like to, to do next. But I really just started like three weeks ago. Wow. So it's very new. Wow. That sounds really awesome. Um, well, I'm looking forward to seeing those shows. Um, and you. is there anything else you'd like to add on any topic? Um, well, I'm curious about like how you decided to start doing the podcast. And, oh. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of what you what you want it to, what direction you want to go in and what you're hoping. Yeah. Um, I think I miss being in school. <laughs> I'd say it's probably the most honest answer. Um, and so I just wanted to keep the sort of almost my experience of being in school, just the dialogue going around it. And it helps yeah. open me to new perspectives. Um, I think it, and hopefully I think, some people are hopefully listening who also get, you know, value from hearing a bunch of yeah. different professionals talking about it. I think it's, um, I think that women in as art is kind of like you're saying at the very beginning, in one way, very supported by the art world and in one way, very not supported. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems yeah. like specific kinds of women are supported, whereas other kinds aren't. And I'm interested in kind of where that line is and if we can like expand it more and make it yeah, more absolutely. just welcoming. I also, my other th- big thing is I was in New York City for 15 years and I just moved out. So it's also a way oh, for wow. me to stay, um, to feel like I'm staying in touch. And 
it's interesting because I don't think I would have started it if I had, was living in New York because, like, yeah. you know, you talk to people all the time, but there's something about moving away that I wanted to then reach out. Where um, are you now? Um, I am living in Arizona. Oh, wow. That's very different. Yeah. Yes, it is very – it's, like, basically, I think, the opposite. <laughs> like, the flip side. <laughs> But it's in a good way, in a good way. Yeah. I know. One I, of my Ar- colleagues at Matt is from Arizona. Oh, cool. Yeah, so. It's gorgeous, too. Mind. Yeah. Super beautiful. Well, that's great. Yeah. It's so, I mean, that's another thing about the internet is that yeah. like, you can just start your own thing. I know. Like, often students ask me how to get started as a curator, and I'm like, huh. just start doing shows, like, whether it's online or right. in your apartment or, like you know totally it's so great to just be able to start doing it yeah that's totally true um yeah there was uh one show it was almost like an accidental curation that I did in a way (laughs) um but it was called body anxiety and we curated um I was a co-curator of it it went out in 2016 it ended up getting a whole lot of art press it was all about all about women who or female identifying people who show their um who are both in the art and the artist um and it it was yeah so that was really fun and I was like wow curating is kind of fun but I'm not really a curator but it was a really (laughs) interesting experience um to, I guess actually come to think of it with choosing guests on the podcast it's almost as there's a light curation there, oh yeah which is kind absolutely of fun. <laughs> yeah totally who do you yeah. have coming up um well I'm a little behind in releasing podcasts so ah. um so I've actually almost done 10 I think and I've only released three so in terms of oh, who's amazing. being released we have Anne Hirsch coming up we have uh oh my gosh Andrea Stanislav, who is an artist, Anne Hirsch is an artist. Um, Oh my gosh, Laura Whale is an artist. But we have some other non-artists, but I'm blanking completely. So I'd have to check my notes. But it's been so interesting. Um, Oh, Margaret Murphy. Oh, yeah. Uh, It was really – yeah, I think I just interviewed her last week. Her work is very, very exciting and AI-informed. Oh, wow. Yeah, I met her a while ago. Oh, cool. And, um, her work was a little different, but that's uh-huh. really cool. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so, and I'm just, I feel like I'm just getting started, so we'll, I think it'll be a, a real nice broad range, and I guess a slice of, like, the status of women in art today Yeah, is what I hope it'll create, although someone would have to listen to a lot of episodes, but maybe they will. <laughs> Well, that's super exciting. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, it's great to – thank you so much. It's great to have you. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah, wonderful. I'll be in touch. I'll see you online, maybe in person someday. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. This has been the Women as an Art Podcast, hosted by me, Leah Schrager. Please visit womenasanart.com for more information and to find us on socials. Thanks.